What a great privilege to pray together. As I pray, I'm leading, but we all must pray. You're the church. So as I pray, in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit, let's all come to God. Ah, Father, again and again we have come to you in times like this and other times not a bit like this, and every time you hear us, you do. Sometimes our praise just wells up. There are words we speak. We come to the ends of those words. And there's not another word to say, but our praise keeps going on and on. We, we trust you hear it then and now. Father, we, we come to you when we think about what Jesus Christ did for us. Months ago, we celebrate his coming as a, as a baby. Now in this season, we commemorate and celebrate what he did for us on the cross and what you did through him for our sins. Thank you, oh God. Thank you. Thank you. And now, Lord, as we as we meet together, this time is not our time anymore. It's yours. All that we have and all that we do, even the time in which we live, we have given to you. And now, in a special way, sanctify it. As you sanctify your word to our heart, we pray in the name of Jesus, precious Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Would you open the word with me tonight? The book of Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read just a few verses, but uh, the larger context is the story of that, uh, of that first, the first day in the life of the newborn church. There's something very special that happens on that day uh, after the wind and after the fire and after the speaking in tongues, something very special happened. And that's what we're going to center on tonight. So, from the book of Acts, chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading at verse 14, then jump down to, oh, about 38 or so. Would you follow with me? I will be reading from the New American... No, I won't. I'll read from the NIV, since that's what I'm holding. Uh, <laughs> makes, makes it much easier that way. And though you've just sat down, I would ask you to stand with me as we read together from the Holy Word. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And then all oh, about, uh, well, let's, let's read a bit further. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then to verse 38. remember he preached quite a sermon. Near the end he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Uh, notice, hold on there, notice. He didn't say, and to fellowship. And to the fellowship. Uh, the breaking of bread and to prayer. My theme this evening is the church has a voice. Thank you, Father, for your word. It is holy to us. It is holy because you inspired it in the minds and hearts of people who wrote it down. You, you inspired those who protected it and, and transmitted it. You inspired it in the minds of those who translated it. And now tonight, Father, we ask you would inspire it in our hearts as we read it and think on it together ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I confess I have, uh, as, as long as I can remember, I have been intrigued by voices. Um, parentheses around this. Folks, I'm tired. And so I, uh, when I get tired, I, I, my inhibitions drop. Now, for me, for me, in, uh, dropping inhibitions mean I might, uh, I might actually tell a joke from time to time. That's as low as, that's as, low as my inhibitions can go. But, um, but I, just, I just want you to know, so if, if, it, if it seems like uh, I'm, I'm not polished tonight, uh, that's uh, because I have a good excuse. But we're going to get through this sermon anyway. I, I have been intrigued by voices. Um, how many of you remember Mr. Magoo? Oh, yeah, wasn't that a great voice? Just to let you know how low my, my inhibitions dropped, there was a, as I was a kid watching black and white television, that sort of redundancy, back when I was a kid, that's all the kind of television there was. Um, <laughs> there, there was this, there was this uh, commercial that I remember well. I, um, if, if I may paraphrase it, uh, a, um, a grandmotherly sort of lady went into a restaurant and sat down and a, a waiter walked over and she said, uh, May I have a cup of coffee and a piece of pie? And he looked at her and said, yes, ma'am. I will get it right away. So he went and got her a piece of pie and a cup of coffee. She was sitting there eating and drinking it. And a very beautiful young woman came in and sat down at the next table. And he walked up and she said, uh, I would like to have a cup of coffee and a piece of pie. And he said, yes, ma'am. I'll bring it right away. About that time, uh, Granny landed on him and with her hands around his throat said, were you making fun of me? And he said, no, I was making fun of her. <laughs> I, I just love cartoon voices. Um, well, maybe my inhibition can go a little bit lower. My, f <laughs> my, my, my favorite cartoon character was a, uh, uh, what was that, the, the Mary Melodies one, the ones that Mel Blanc did? And it was, a, it was a young vulture that would fly, and it, and it would say, I'm looking for a baby, bumblebee. <laughs> Won't my mommy be so proud of me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
now, now, I grew up on a dairy farm, and in the, and in the place where we, we, uh, we milked the cows, my dad had built a shelf uh, up high enough that it wouldn't get splattered, and uh, we, would, we would listen to that radio while we milked the cows, and uh, heard the voice of Garner Ted Armstrong. Anyone remember Garner Ted Armstrong? From him, I, a very strange voice, not particularly pleasing, but I, but I learned from his voice that you don't have to be right, but you certainly have to be certain. Now, now, take notes, because that's the first point of my sermon. You don't have to be right, but you do have to be certain, according to Garner Ted Armstrong. We'll come back to that a little later. And then, of course, uh, every day at noon, where I lived, we would, we would hear someone come on, and I would set my watch by, and he would say, Hello, Americans, this is Paul Harvey. Stand by for news. And that was a voice I remembered then. From him, I learned that there is a correct way to speak and to pronounce words. And when he sounded strange, I knew he was right and I was wrong. That's the second point of my sermon tonight. And we'll come back to that one, too. It was, uh, in some ways, I suppose, a bit ironic that the first sermon of the new church was preached by the Apostle Peter. Because the first thing that I would like to point out from our text is that the voice of the church is a voice of identity. Peter had an identity crisis all the way up until this very moment, as nearly as we can tell. If you look in the book of Acts, you'll find out that when Jesus called him, he did so by saying, I want to go out in a boat and float out here a little bit. And Peter did this overly humble thing. Oh, Jesus, I'm just, not, I'm just not at all worthy of all this. And Jesus essentially just shrugged his shoulders and said, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to go fishing for men. Uh, Peter was the one who had the identity crisis, you know, the one who, who ran up when Jesus said, and whom do people say that I am? And he said, well, you're Jesus the Christ. And then and then in that moment, he began to rebuke Jesus because he got just a little bit ahead. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. If there's anything that I know that could give someone an identity crisis, it would be that, to hear that from the Savior. And so it was that on that night, on that night, he denied Jesus three times. And the piercing gaze of the Savior looked through his eyes right into his soul, and he wept because he realized that his own identity was so fragile. And then days later, even after he knew that the master had come, come alive and had risen again, even then, when it came right down to it, he was ready to go back to the nets, back to the boat, back to the water, back to the fish, and try to pick up again where he had left off three years earlier. His identity was not strong. But something happened. On that day when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born, suddenly Peter had identity. If you, if you look at the words of Scripture, it said, and Peter standing up with the eleven. I like that. It wasn't just Peter. I've, I've, I've thought a little bit about maybe sometime when, I, when I'm preaching somewhere. I almost did it tonight, but I didn't was to ask about 11 people to stand behind me and everyone else to stand up here while I preached. 
I figured if people could stand up for 20 minutes while we sing in choruses, you ought to be able to stand up 20 minutes while I preach. <laughs> Seems to make sense to me, somehow or other. But, uh, but when Peter preached, he was, not, he was not preaching all by himself. He was preaching from the context of the church. Now, I really believe that whatever happened when the Holy Spirit came and cleansed him and came to dwell in him and baptized Peter with his presence, I believe something very special happened that made him bold enough to stand up and preach this sermon. And read it again if you don't believe it. It is the boldest sermon I've ever heard. But I also believe it was the fact that Peter was not preaching from Peter. Peter was preaching from the church. From the church. See, the church has a voice. It's a powerful voice. It's a strong voice. It's a voice of identity. It tells us who we are. I was 20 when I first walked into a Nazarene church, and I was, I was home from the very beginning. Others of you are not Nazarene. That's perfectly all right, but you understand what I'm trying to say. There was that time when you walked in, and it's, it's right, it's family. These are my people. Church of the Nazarene gave me identity. Suddenly I knew who I was. I was a Nazarene. There's identity. You've either had kids or you've been one at one time. Maybe both. My, uh, my youngest grandson has found his voice. You, you've heard them people say that about kids. You, you've probably said it about your own kid. They've found their voice. What's the first word they usually say when they find their voice? No. No. Now, it's not that they've never uttered a sound at all in their whole lives. It's what we're trying to say is this person is now expressing himself. He's found his voice. When we stand up with the 11 or with the 1100, stand up with the two. Sometimes when we stand apparently by ourselves, we know that we're standing with a host of others with whom we identify and who identify with us. And it's the voice of the church. It's powerful and real, not because we say it, but because we are repeating something that others have said before over and over again and blessed and led by the Holy Spirit in the saying of it. We found our voice. We have identity. The, the other thing about the voice of the church is it's the voice of a message. It's powerful. Ultimately, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message. We don't have time again to read Peter's ser sermon here, but I assure you that it was based powerfully on two things. The first one of them was the scriptures. I, I'm so pleased to be part of Nazarene Bible College, partly because it has the word Nazarene at front, somewhat because it has the word college at the end. But I sure like the word Bible. I like it right there. When the church has found its voice, it will speak God's word in many ways, many translations. But it will be God's word. It will always be consistent 
with God's holy scriptures. Amen. Message, God's word. It was also based on contemporary facts, what was happening right then. What made his sermon penetrating is the fact that just months before, those, many of those same people had stood on the hill and watched Jesus be crucified. And so when he pointed them to Jesus, he said, look what just happened. It made sense to them right there and right then. The voice of the church is always 2,000 years old for us, and it is always right now for us as well. Someone once uh, complained about Billy Graham saying that, uh, saying that his preaching had set the church back by 100 years, and he said, I'm very disappointed. He said, I was trying to set it back about 1,900 years ago. Now, I don't want to overdo the issue of the first century church. I, I, we don't live in the first century, and the first century folks don't live here. But there is, there is in what they preached the same truth that we can preach today. And as contemporary as it was back then, it can be contemporary like that today. It is powerful because it is God's word. So there is identity and there is a message. And there is a character. When the church speaks, there is a character that is seen. If you look at this, there's a, there's a number of things, but let me quickly go through a, f a few of them. First of all, there was a manifest holiness. Th this happened when the Holy Spirit came. And they were a holy church from the very beginning. That doesn't mean that people were holy because they belonged to the church. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that the church was full of only holy people. But it does mean that in some very special way, God is at work in the church to make holy those who are part of the wonderful fellowship of the church. And it's a manifest holiness. I like that word manifest. It seems kind of educated. It makes me feel good to say it. What it really means is that it's obvious. It's clear. It's right out there for anyone to see. Maybe you've seen the commercial on television recently where this guy is going around sort of buttonholing people and saying, I've lowered my cholesterol today. And everybody looks at him real funny, and we laugh. You know, sometimes, sometimes we have the tendency to go around saying to people, hey, I'm holy. I'm, when, when we use the term manifest holiness, it's not because we're going around telling people how holy we are. There's a manifest holiness because people look at our lives and see... Holiness is something that someone ought to say about us, not something we say about ourselves. It is a manifest holiness. And there was fellowship were there. It was the fellowship. It was clear. There's much more said in the Bible about loving other Christians than there is about loving sinners. I, I, I've tried it. I've read through it. It's there. We're to love each other. We're to love the brethren. Because God knows if we love each other, we'll, we'll just have enough love, it'll spill over in other people too. But love's got to start inside the family. It is the fellowship. 
And the voice of the church is the voice that pulls us together as a fellowship. I, like, I, I think that's so powerfully important. So many things in his sermon. By the way, uh, it was a humorous sermon. It, it never hit me before, but I read it three or four times today getting ready for this, and I found two very, very clear evidences of Paul's humor in that sermon. And if uh, the first ten people that can come to me and show me the, the humor about it, I'll give you a Snickers candy bar or something. Uh, I, I, I thought, well, this is a serious subject. Peter knew about serious subjects. And he also knew that humor can be a very powerful tool to bring something serious about. Finally, just finally, this was not the sermon of an ignorant man. Just two chapters later, talking about Peter and John together again when the council drew them in, it said they took note of them that they were unschooled. And then they realized, it says in the fourth chapter, they realized that they had been with Jesus. The voice is a voice that has been schooled by the Master. Now, Please understand, I am not putting down a good education. I'm just saying where the education ought to come from. This wasn't just the fact they had rubbed shoulders with Jesus a little bit, and because of that they had somehow started to glow or something. No. It's that what they knew had found its foundation in the very maker of all knowledge. And even though they were unschooled, they were obviously people who spoke with authority, an authority that came from knowing. The voice of the church is not uncertain, and it is also right. I said earlier that Garner Tanner Armstrong showed me that you don't have to be right, but you do have to be certain. The church is right. The church is right. When the church uses God's word, it is right. When the church loves people in Jesus' name, it is right. Sometimes our problem is that we're right and uncertain. There needs to be a boldness. There needs to be a power. We can do it with love. We can do it with certainty. We can also do it that's right. God's word is clear. We, we need to be thinking Christians. Amen. At least you professors ought to dig in there with me a little bit. God has not called us to be stupid and ignorant. He has called us to be thoughtful and clear-headed and full of knowledge. But it needs to be all brought together by the presence and power of the Master. I told you I was about 20 when I joined the Church of Nazarene. One of the first things I did was pick up a little black book called the Manual. Now, quite frankly, I had never seen a manual before. If the, if the other churches that I had attended had manuals, they never gave them to me. The Church of Nazarene only gave me one after I asked for it because I wanted to understand. And when I read through it, I said, yes, 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 yes. I said, yes, 14 times. 14 times I said, yes. And I said, these are my people. They understand truth the way I understand it. And I understand it the way they understand it. See, the voice of the church through generations has been moving us to the point of thinking and believing together what is true 
and right and powerful. When you, uh, when you leave today, by the way, the Herald of Holiness, for those of you who are not Nazarenes, the Herald, Herald of Holiness, excuse me, the Holiness Today, the Holiness Today is the, uh, is the official uh, journal, magazine, whatever, of, of the Church of the Nazarene. This one is just, just dynamite because it is, uh, it is about the articles of faith of the Church of the Nazarene as written by people who write well and think well and clearly. And when I read this, I said, yes, 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 again. The church speaks through something like this. There's one final point. We have been called to be the voice of the church. We have, yes. Whether teachers or singers or spouses or pastors, counselors, whatever, we've been called to be the voice of the church to speak for God in the midst of the fellowship. And we can do it with faith and understanding and boldness and clarity. We can do it with, with assurance because we know that what we are saying is not something way out on the edge, not something born of our own impressions, but it's as solid as a rock. Millions of lives have been changed by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the living out of the holy life, and by the power of God's word working through us. The church has a voice. It's ours. Alan, come lead us in a song.